Hi friends, this is Scott, the lead pastor at Grace. Isn't technology amazing that we can stay connected if we're sick or traveling or even serving in the children's ministry? We hope that this message helps those people who otherwise cannot be at church stay connected with God's word. But we also recognize that listening to or watching a church service on a screen is actually a poor substitution for the kind of community that God has called us to embrace. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, it tells us to not forsake gathering together as some are in the habit of doing. So we hope that this message helps you take your next steps in your spiritual journey. And we would also ask that you would place the highest priority on worshiping in a local church that you can support and invest in. Thanks, enjoy, and God bless. One of my pet peeves is church closets. Church closets uh, are the worst. Um, as a mobile church, uh, we've been portable for a while. We're in this space for a time period here. But we don't have a, a lot of church closets. But if you go to any like established church, here's kind of how it works. Little Ralphie plays the shepherd in the Christmas play. And Grandma needs to make an outfit for Ralphie. And so she makes the outfit for Ralphie. And he does a good job. And then when they get done, they're like, well, what are we going to do with the shepherd's outfit. And so here, we'll donate it to the church. And the church goes, great, we might do this play again in the future. They hang on to it, they stick it in the, in the closet, in a box. And then Singles Awareness comes around, otherwise known as Valentine's Day, and they have some banquet, and someone makes the table toppers, and they're like, well, what are we going to do with all of these things? And they donate them to the church. And so it goes into the closet. And event after event, the box of stuff ends up in the closet, and the first closet gets full. And then the second closet gets full, and then the third closet gets full, and then what you find out over time is that like, you're trying to move forward in life, in ministry, and you can't do it because all of the closets are full of stuff that someone thought one day we'll be able to use this. Someday this will equip us in the future, but all it does is limit your ability to step forward into what's next and what's in front of you. Before long, you get congested with things from the past. And the truth is, just like with church closets, we can get emotional baggage from things that have happened to us last week, last month, last year, 10 years ago. And, and when we choose to say, you know what, I'm going to hang on to this box because I think this might serve me in the future, so I'm going to hang on to this, and then all of a sudden we find that it starts to congest up our lives and we're unable to move forward in life because of this thing that happened to us in the past. This unkind word that was spoken to us in high school tends to keep and stay with you. This, this, this thing that mom or dad said to you has this impact on you, and you may not even know it. Emotional baggage, spiritual baggage, personal baggage, it impacts us. And the thing is this, that we have to learn how to control our emotional baggage before our emotional baggage controls us. Because we've all done things, listen, we've all done things that are not a result of what's right in front of us, but it's the result of something that happened long ago. It was programming us. It was programming our response. And we've all hurt someone else that we care about because of some piece of baggage that exists in our past. Our, our emotional, our relational, our spiritual health is, is in part because how we process what has happened and what's in our rearview mirror. 
So we're starting a series, and if you're with us for the first time, this is a great time to join us because the best time to hop on a conversation is at the beginning, and that's what we're at. In this series, what we're looking at is we're looking at four critical areas, four critical pieces of things that can become emotional, spiritual baggage for us. Issues of bitterness, fear, pride, and jealousy, they're particularly powerful, and they can poison our hearts if we're not careful about it, if we can't learn to get over them. And I think that what we're gonna talk about in this series is gonna be so helpful, it's gonna be so true, it has the power to change our lives. Even if you're not a Christian and you're like, I don't even know that I'm a Christ follower, I think that there's gonna be something helpful in here for you. But listen, listen to me. If you are a Christian, if you are a Christian, your redemptive potential in Christ will be impacted by how you unpack the baggage from the past. Your ability to tell people about Jesus and say, this is a good thing that you should be down with will be impacted by how you deal with your baggage in the past because if you don't deal with it, it's gonna turn into bitterness and to pride and to jealousy and here's what I know. There are very few people that I look at and say, hey, look at their bitterness. I wanna be just like them. Look at how proud they are. I really want some of that in my life. They're so jealous that they can't have healthy relationships. I want some of that for me as well. So it impacts our ability and our redemptive potential in Christ. And listen, as Christians, we have the Holy Spirit of God within us, and we can walk through these difficult things, and he can help us overcome them. Because it's so critical, because this area is so critical, I want to start out this series by looking at just one verse, and then we're going to hop into one of our topics here this weekend. But the verse that I want you to look at, if you have a Bible, if you need one, we've got some free ones at Grace Central. Turn on your Bible, turn in your Bible, or if you grab our app, um, there's links on there where you can click the button and then we'll open it up for you and everything, right? Here's the verse in Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter four, the wisest man that ever lived. And I want you, when you hear this, when you hear this verse, here's what I want you to hear. I want you to hear the sound of a seasoned voice. Think about your grandfather, your grandmother, your mom or your dad saying, hey, I've been through life and here's what I want to download to you. And this is what this voice says. He says, above all else, above all, all else. Have you ever heard a commencement speech where some 18-year-old gets up and says, above all else, be yourself. Follow your heart. And I just want to say, that's a horrible thing. Don't follow your heart. It'll get you into trouble, right? Above all else, this guy says, look, I've looked at all these things in life, and here's what I want you to remember. Keep this in your heart. Keep this in your mind. There are a lot of things that are important, but this is at the top, and I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, pay attention. This is at the top of the list. Good. Now everyone's paying attention. This is the top of the list. This is what he says. Above all else, guard your heart. Mic drop. Boom. Like we're done. Like, like message over. Like we could pack it up and go home. And some of you are like, yeah, we can do that. Like, no, no, hang out with me for a little bit here. But, but like that is, that is so powerful. That is so powerful. He says, above all else, guard your heart. Put a fence around it. Guard it. Imagine if this was true for you. Imagine if you would have guarded your heart in something that happened to you or some occurrence that happened in the past. Imagine how that would change how you interact with your kids. Imagine if you wanted to guard their heart, how that would change how you interact with them. Work to guard your heart above everything else in life before you think about other details 
You need to think about what comes into your heart because what gets past those defenses, listen to what he says. Listen to this. He says, above your heart, above all else, guard your heart because everything you do flows from it. Be careful what you let in there. What you take into your heart is gonna flow back out. What comes in that you treasure, that you hold on to, that you say, it's my precious, and you play it over and over again, has the power to come out of your heart, and it affects everything you do. You know, Jesus goes on later, he says, out of the heart, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So we have to protect what comes into our souls. You know, it's interesting because when he says, protect your heart, like, Practically speaking, our world, like everything else around us, we protect everything but our heart. We'll protect our yards, so we'll get a fence, and we'll be like, hey, you ain't gonna let your dog do the thing in my yard. Those kids aren't gonna ride through my yard. I'm gonna get the, you know, the, the pesticides, and I'm gonna take care of it. We'll protect, we'll protect our skin. You know, we put on special lotions, and my goodness, I've got two ladies, only two ladies living in my house, but you should see the number of bottles that exist in our bathrooms. I need like a bar of soap, shampoo, like that's it. Like bottles after bottles, just like guarding and protecting their skin. We'll protect our valuables, so we'll get in insurance on things. We'll, we'll get security systems and vaults. We'll protect our bodies. You know, we're gonna count our carbs. We're gonna like cut out gluten, Sometimes, sometimes that will happen. Let's be honest, it doesn't always happen. Here's what I know. We'll, we'll, count, we'll count carbs and we'll cut out gluten, but we won't watch our hearts to make sure that jealousy or greed or pride doesn't come in. And yet, here's what I know. Not many lives are destroyed because of carbs, but there's all sorts of lives that are destroyed because of contentiousness, because of pride, because of jealousy, because of anger. And the greatest regrets and hurts in our lives don't come from your yard being messed up, having extra weeds in there, or maybe your brand new car getting scratched, these things that we love to protect, but the greatest hurts in life come from those times when, when you know, the brother-in-law was just so full of pride that he couldn't own his own mistakes, and there was never reconciliation that occurred. It comes from that insatiable greed that someone else had, and because of that, they took advantage of you. It's the issues of the heart that cause the most amount of damage. It follows with you, he says. So be careful, pay attention, be, be mindful what comes in and gets a piece of your heart because it's gonna inflow and impact everything else in life. I'll regularly call my dad and my mom and my dad and I'll say, this thing happened and I'm, I'm frustrated and I'm hurt, you won't believe what this congregation person did, they're so ornery, you know, and here's what my dad will tell me, you guys are perfect, you never do anything, you know, but here's what he'll tell me, and, and I'm expecting him to say like, oh, you should feel that way, he says, guard your heart, guard your heart, my dad has been a pastor for his whole life and worked with pastors all the time, and here's what he's seen. Seen it's the issues of the heart that makes a pastor run to pornography or to alcohol. It's the issues of the heart that cause these major rifts that just destroy. And so he says to me, guard your heart. Don't run to something. Don't give a piece of your heart to something that's gonna destroy. Everything else flows from it. So that's what we wanna do in this series. 
We want to be real careful and pay attention to four critical areas that have a tendency to get a piece of our hearts. Now, the one that we're going to start out this weekend is the issue of, of bitterness, the issue of bitterness. In my 15 years of being in ministry, I've had some conversations, whether they're Christians or non-Christians, and they tend, the conversations go a little bit like this. A person will say, hey, Pastor Scott, do you think that we should forgive people? Yes, I believe we should forgive people. That's a good thing to do. That's, you know, a part of my faith. Okay, well, do you believe we should forgive people if they do things that are, that are really, like, like, should we forgive them for anything that they do? Yes, I think we should forgive them for anything they do. That's a core part of my faith. And then, and then it'll go something like this. Well, what if they do, and then they'll lay out something awful. What if they hurt your daughter? What if they hurt your children or your wife? And then they'll throw out words like assault or like murder or molestation. And, and then they'll ask this question, do you think you should still forgive them in that instance? And the subtext of what they're saying is this, that there is a line that people can cross that we no longer have to forgive them. We no longer have to treat them like God treats us. At that point, when they cross that line, we, we can resent them, we can refuse to forgive them, we can hold on to anger, we can let it fester into resentment and eventually into bitterness. And listen, maybe, maybe some of you believe that. That if something or someone did something to you or to your spouse or to your kid, that, that forgiving them is not only foolish, but it's actually irresponsible. That it's actually unwise. And you might come to that place where you say, I have full permission in my own heart, and I even think God would bless me resenting this person for what happened, for what they did to me. Bitterness is a cynical spirit where we feel like we've been treated unfairly, and so we let it blossom into resentment. And I bet that there's a bunch of us, maybe even all of us, that when you think about something that happened in your past, a piece of baggage that was in the past that's carrying along with you in the future, the one word that might come to your mind is the word bitterness. Maybe it's that relationship with your ex, you know, they cheated on you and then your life just imploded, they exploded and you're like, what happened wasn't fair and how come I ended up having to pick up all the pieces from that? Maybe it's your in-law situation, you thought that the person that your daughter was gonna marry was gonna be different but then they went and got married and he took her away and now you're just angry about how that played out. Maybe it's that, that colleague, that boss and something was going on and, and you would say that you have bitterness. Or maybe you just look at your life and you would say, hey, I'm 40 now, I'm 50 now, and I thought life was going to be different. I had expectations and that didn't happen. I thought I was going to be traveling and making this much money and it's not that way, and you just have bitterness about it. And so the, the question becomes, and, and not to be crass, but when life craps on us, are we allowed to be bitter? When life gets hard, are we allowed to be bitter? Do we have to stay there and listen, for those of us who would say that we're followers of Jesus Christ, do, do we get to cross that line and stay in this place where we would say, hey, God understands my resentment. God would bless this, so I'm gonna hang out in this space. What's, what's a person who follows Christ supposed to do? Right, let me tell you something that's true for anyone over the age of eight. That a broken world will consistently give you opportunities for bitterness to be birthed in your heart. There is just too much wrong with the world around you. There is so much brokenness out there. 
you will have lots and lots of opportunities to be disappointed. And if you want to not have opportunities, again, I don't mean to be crass, but the only way to not have opportunities to be disappointed is if you're dead, right? There's brokenness. In fact, the scripture says that all of nature and creation groans and screams wanting for this this pollution and this, this situation to be fixed. So every single day, you and I are gonna have opportunities and interactions with people inside our houses and outside of our houses, and we have opportunities to get bitter or we have opportunities to get better. And so this weekend, we're gonna look at a passage and, and, and deal with a topic of bitterness and look at how, as Christians, we're supposed to react and how we deal with this baggage and how we get over this issue of bitterness. So turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, please have a Bible with you or have it on your phone. We don't want to have dusty Bibles, that's for sure. Ephesians chapter 4, and this is what the Apostle Paul has to say to us. He says, get rid, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. I find it interesting when when I see this that Every single one of those words that he talks about, they're all relational words. They all have to do with some sort of relationship that we would have with another person. Paul is making the assumption, hey, that if you're a human being and you have a pulse, you're going to have opportunities. And it's, it's, it's not just like it might be there, but it's there and you need to learn to deal with it. Bitterness, here's what it does. It, it takes root in our lives when we're unwilling to forgive someone for something that they've done against us. And here's how I've just experienced it in my life. Something goes down, and it feels weird, or it really hurt. And so I walk away, and I start thinking about it. And then I go, and I tell my wife about it. And I'm looking for commiseration, because misery loves company, right? And then at night, I'm thinking about it, and I'm spinning it, and I'm twisting it up, and it's, and it's like reverberating in my heart. And then I start to have feelings that start to emerge in the middle of all of that. Like, I can't believe they do this. They did this. Who do they think they are? Do they not not care about anyone but themselves? They are so selfish. How dare they do that? And then I think this, and this is so subtle, and this is so insidious, and I think, I'm going to remain angry, and I'm going to tighten the screws on them in my own heart because they are not worthy of being forgiven and they are not worthy of love and they are not worthy of regard. I'm telling you, I may not think those words, but in my heart, that's actually what comes out. And I think they've done something to me and I'm I'm gonna hold them hostage in my heart. St. Augustine said this. He said that bitterness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. We're gonna hold it against them thinking that somehow it's inflicting pain on them. I'll show you. Uh, it's on the inside. They may not even, they might not even be thinking about it, but we're holding it against them and we drink this poison waiting for it to make them die. And yet, what does it do to us? It makes us approach new relationships with suspicion and an unwillingness to be vulnerable because I was hurt like that before and I'm never gonna let someone else hurt me that way again. I'll show them. I'll prove them wrong. It creates a a cynical view of the world and, and how it will shake down. This went sour last time. It's always gonna go sour. I can't rely on anyone. But here's the thing. 
This is core to who we are as Christians, that we can't claim to love and follow God while being unwilling to deal with the bitterness that's in our hearts. Why do I say that? When someone asked Jesus, hey, Jesus, what's the most important thing? What do I really need to know? He said, well, let me tell you, the greatest commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And he said, the second is just like it. And almost in the same breath, you should love your neighbor as yourself. The vertical relationship with God will always overflow into our relationship with others. God created us in such a manner that we cannot fully understand him. We can't fully follow him without other people being central to our lives, and we can't understand other people without Christ being central to our lives, at least not well. You can't separate these two things out, and we can't silo them. We can't say, you know what? It's just me and God. You know what? I go to church, and and I sing these worship songs, but there's this person, and they did this to me, and I'm going to hold it against them. Paul, Paul would say, and Jesus would say, you can't do that. You can't claim to love God and willingly hold on to resentment to someone else. So Paul says, we're supposed to do something with it. It's like, okay, Scott, well, how do, I'm not supposed to be that way. I get it, but how do I, what do I do with that? He says this, he says, put it off. Get rid of it. A couple of verses later, he said, put it off. And it's almost this picture, like many times I'll, I'll go, I'll mow the lawn, and we have two acres, and so we've got this big deck, and the chute fell off the side of it, so it just kind of like spits grass everywhere and invariably the wind will come and like it'll hit me and so I'll just have grass everywhere and so I'll come in the house and I'll say hey babe I finished the lawn and she'll look at me my wife will look at me and be like get those clothes off like they're filthy like don't wear that in my house right it's almost this picture like we have bitterness on like it's a sweatshirt or a jacket and we need to take it off put it off and then in the next verse He tells us how we do that, how we do that. He says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another. Now, here's the the word, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Put off bitterness, and you can't just put it off. You have to put on something else. Instead of trying to tighten the screws on them in your own heart and resenting them for it, he says, be kind back to them. Be kind to them. Be compassionate to them. Consider how are they experiencing things? What were they going through when they said that thing to you? Have you ever made a mistake like they've made? Have you ever needed someone to be kind to you back and be compassionate to you back? And then this is what he says. He says, we are to forgive each other. In our minds, in our hearts, we, we say, I'm not going to hold that against them anymore. I'm going to forgive them. That's the way we break the power of bitterness in our hearts and keep it from becoming baggage that keeps us from moving forward. That is a massive, massive, complicated topic that would take a long time to unpack. In fact, we did a whole sermon series, five weeks on forgiveness in the spring of 2018. And I just wanna pull together three points, three foundation stones we laid in that sermon series that I think are really helpful for how we can practically live this out and how we can build up a foundation of forgiveness. You know, the, I, think, I think when we consider 
things that have happened to us. We think, all right, I should forgive someone, but you know what? I tried forgiving them once, and then they did it again. And I tried forgiving them that time, and then they did it again. Isn't there a limit? Like, isn't there a line where I should no longer forgive them? The thing is, I think that Jesus' disciples struggled with this as well. In Matthew 18, this is what Peter did. He came to, to Jesus, and he said, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. So Peter's a Jewish guy under Jewish law, and under that Jewish system, there was a, there was a system that said you had to forgive somebody three times. Three times, and then you could be done with them. Fourth time, you've done it, you're dead to me. Right? I'm cutting you off. So Peter says, well, should I forgive Seven times. So I'm being super spiritual. I'm doubling it and I'm adding one, he would say. Jesus says, no, I want you to do it 70 times. He's exaggerating. He's, he's making a point. You should do it a million times. He's saying you should never stop doing it. It's a, a limitless thing. That, that helps us with our first foundation stone. It's this, is that forgiveness is not an act as much as it's a habit that's motivated by a realization. Forgiveness is a habit that's motivated by a realization. Jesus says if you have to forgive someone, it's never gonna be a forgive and forget situation. You wanna know why? Because we remember things, right? You, you can't do that, it doesn't work. I can't not remember what you did to me. So every time I remember it, every time the ramifications of what you did to me, they come up in front of my heart, I have to choose to forgive you again and again and again. And there's no such thing as a once and done. There's no such thing as a forgive and a forget. The more painful the offense, the more often I'm going to have to forgive you. So if after church, you know, you come up to me and you're drinking a coffee and you just happen to spill coffee on me, uh, you know, and it's okay, I got over it, second and third degree burns, you're like, oh, I'm so sorry, you know, uh, okay, I forgive you, and as I go home, I'll have to forgive you as I, you know, get rid of the stained shirt now, and it's, but it's, I'll get over it, right? I'll get over it. It's not that big of a deal. But if you hurt my, my wife, or if you really want to tick me off, hurt my kids, Right? And you come to me and you say, I am so sorry. I am broken. What I did was foolish and stupid. I, I repent. I am sorry. Will you forgive me? You know what? That's going to be a lot harder because now the ramifications that I've got to deal with when I go home and now I have to have conversations with my wife or I have to sit on my daughter's bed and deal with how she's been hurt by you, now I have to choose to forgive you again. The deeper you hurt me, the more habitually I'm going to have to choose to forgive you. Do you see, you see how that works? It's not, a ha it's not an instinct, right? It's not a it's not an instinct, it's a habit I choose to put on. We have to see forgiveness through that lens. This is, this is what Jesus knows about us. He knows that we don't forgive things easily, that we don't forget things easily, and so we have to do it over and over again. It's not as much an act as it is a habit. 
consider, consider what Jesus said in Ephesians 4. He said, forgive each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Think about this. Think that, that God habitually has to forgive you. Over and over again, he forgives you. My sins have been forgiven. Can you, can you imagine, can you imagine if, if he was like three strikes, you're out? Like I had a lustful thought once. God, I'm so sorry I had a lustful thought. Okay, I forgive you. And then I have a lustful thought again, and I, have, I, I forgive you again. And then I have a lustful thought the third time, and I, I forgive you. And then the fourth time, it's like, well, nope, you're done. You're going to hell now. Aren't you glad Jesus doesn't do that with us? Because you can't stop yourself So God keeps forgiving us in Christ. It's the nature of our relationship with him. And so Jesus would look at us and he would say, that needs to be the nature of your relationship with other people as well. You don't forget. Nobody forgets. The more deeply you've been wounded, the more you have to choose to live in forgiveness. That's what it means to love me, to reflect my character, Jesus would say. So it's it's a habit and it's motivated by this realization. The second foundation stone is this, is that forgiveness is an act of the will, it's not an emotion. It's not an impulse of the emotion. It's an act of the will. Look at what Paul said in Ephesians. He says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Why? Just as in Christ, God forgave you. Notice he says, get rid of it. This, this, is, this is a directive from God. It's not the result of following him. It's fascinating. It's a directive. He says, get rid of it. It's, it's a to-do. It's an act of obedience. Instead of, instead of being angry and brawling, you be compassionate. You be kind. It's a directive. It's not a, it's not a result. And we may read a passage like that, and we would say, you know, if I walk close enough with God, if I was a good enough Christian, if I was spiritual enough, then these feelings I have inside, they would go away, but they don't. You know why? So we, because we have a memory and we don't forget. So God would say, you put that away. You, you put that off. Now for us, that, that seems in, incredibly impossible because forgiveness for us feels like an emotion that we would feel. We don't think of it as a choice. We would say, I can't control my feelings, and why would God ever hold me responsible for something that I can't control? Which, by the way, isn't true. I I can't help that I feel angry. I can't help that I feel bitter. Why would God tell me to do away with something that I can't control? But what if the very foundation of how we understand this battle How we understand forgiveness works is wrong. What if forgiveness is actually an act of the will and you can actually choose? What if if we're able to replace those feelings because it's an act of the will? It's a decision that you can participate with. And here's why that makes me feel so very helpful, hopeful. Because it means I'm not a victim to what someone else has done to me that I have a choice in the process. And I have something I can own into the process. And I don't have to be helpless about what's happened in my past. Forgiveness is an emotion. It's not, it's not an emotion, it's an act of the will. 
Why would God tell us to, to put it away? Because think about how forgiveness works. Think about how forgiveness works. Unforgiveness is something that builds upon itself. So when you do something to me and I refuse to forgive it, it festers inside and then you do something again and now I add to it. So I almost thought about preaching this whole message just like holding these rocks and it's almost as if every time something happens to me, I pick up another rock and before I'm done, I can't go anywhere because it's just hanging on there and I've added to it with every offense that I've bear, uh, carried. But it's also something you can subtract from. You can say, I choose to forgive someone for this. And so instead of letting it crush me, I say, I'm gonna subtract from it. So that second foundation stone, forgiveness, is an act of the will. It's not an impulse of the emotions. It's not an emotional response. And listen, one really practical way that you can live this out in the relationships and maybe those, those areas where you might feel a temptation to feel some bitterness about, one way you can do that, and this is gonna sound nuts, but you can actually pray for that other person. The person that hurt you, the person that did that thing to you, you can pray for them that, and, and not pray for them that like God would really put them through the ringer and like tighten the screws on them, but pray God's blessings over them. This has been so helpful to me that in Romans 2, this is what, this is what Paul says in Romans 2. He says that God's kindness leads us to repentance. That the things that I've done wrong in my life that I wish weren't there, that God showed me that, that was his kindness taking my heart and moving it in another direction. It's not his wrath, it's his kindness that led me to repentance. And so what that means is if I want someone else that's done something wrong to me, if I really want them to have repentance, it means that I can with, a, with integrity in my heart, pray God, would your kindness lead them to the same repentance that I've had in my heart? I've had one or two significant relationships, really critical things that I've had to walk through the waters of bitterness through. And my prayer has honestly and sincerely been, God, would your kindness be evident in their lives? And would that lead them to whatever repentance needs to be had? I don't even know what they need to own in this. And you know what that does to my heart? It, it makes it so that I can release it. I don't have to carry the weight of punishing them for what they did to me. I can say, God, you've shown me kindness. Would you show them kindness? This is in your hands and it's not in mine. God, bless them. You know what I find really hard to do? I find really hard trying to tighten the screws on them and the bitterness of my own resentment and heart and simultaneously praying blessings for them. It may, may not be easy, but it starts to loosen the grasp of bitterness in our hearts. The third foundation stone is this, that forgiveness at its core is not about our relationship with other people, it's about our relationship with God. At its core, Turn, turn to Matthew 6, verse 14. It'll be up on the, on, the, on the screen if you don't want to, but it's a pretty difficult teaching of Jesus. It says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their sins, their heavenly, your heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. That's pretty intense, right? So what's Jesus really saying there? Let's glance at it for just a second. He's saying this. The core of it he's saying is if I'm unwilling to forgive other people, it's because I don't have the right perspective about myself. 
I'm not seeing myself the way that I need to see myself. And, and so I'm not receiving from God what I so desperately need. What Jesus is talking about in Matthew is he's saying this. He's saying if you're unwilling to forgive people when they sin against you, it means that you've never received my forgiveness because my people who are called by my name that have experienced me, they would see They would see things the way that I see things. They would see their own brokenness. They would be poor in spirit, Jesus says in Matthew chapter five. Blessed are the poor in spirit. They would be spiritually impoverished. And so Jesus is saying, you're gonna know who are my people because of how they love and how they interact with other people. And there's one thing that's true about me, Jesus says, that I don't withhold forgiveness from people that seek it. In fact, I stepped out of heaven. I I lived on earth. I suffered and I suffocated in my own bodily fluids. I died solely to forgive you of your sins. And when you purposefully withhold from someone else and decide I'm gonna be bitter and I'm gonna be angry and I'm gonna withhold love and I'm gonna act maliciously and I'm gonna slander, Jesus would say, you're not my child. That's not how my disciples act. Your sins haven't been forgiven because transformed people act like me and you're not reflecting me in any way, shape, or form. Now listen, I'm not talking about it being hard. I'm talking about you being unwilling. Forgiveness at its core has very little to do with what other people do. It has everything to do with my interaction with Christ. Have I received him? Have I rejected him? That's why Jesus said that. That's why Jesus said, you can't love God and hate your brother. You can't be filled with with bitterness and compassion at the same time. You can't do it. So I want want to flush that out of you. And And I'm not saying it's not hard, but God's people instinctively press into that space where they say, I want to release it from my heart. I don't want that to be in there. I have been forgiven, and so I'm gonna forgive others. It's so huge. It's so huge. It's at the core of our interactions with God. Listen, forgiveness is not enabling people. Forgiveness is not a lack of of justice. It doesn't mean justice can't be served. Forgiveness isn't the same thing as as mercy. So I can forgive you and there can still be consequences in your life. And listen, this is really important. Forgiveness is not the same thing as trust. That was so huge for me. I had to learn that. I had to learn that I can step into forgiving people and that there may or may not be reconciliation and trust Because for for me to step back into a relationship with someone, it means I need to entrust my heart to them, and I don't know that I can do that. But I can choose to forgive them. Trust has to be earned, but forgiveness is granted. And so I can forgive someone without trusting them. And listen, reconciliation is a wonderful goal, but it takes two people to reconcile. Both have to come to the table. And the truth is, there are people that you have bitterness about and they may be dead. And you may not even have the opportunity to reconcile with them. There may not be the opportunity to rebuild trust. They moved away. They moved out of your life. There's a restraining order against them. I don't know what it is. You may not have that opportunity to rebuild trust, but you can still forgive them anyway. Forgiveness is so important. It's the heart of a Christian, and it's absolutely necessary if you don't want to go insane 
living with other human beings. If, if you work with a human being, if you live with a human being, if you have children, if you have parents, you're going to go nuts if you can't learn to forgive. Listen, in, in order to embrace forgiveness, I have to receive forgiveness first. I have to receive and I have to realize that I'm the one above everyone else that needed God's grace and his mercy. And when he poured it out on me, I didn't deserve it. And they may not deserve my forgiveness, but just as God poured it out on me, I'm gonna pour it out on them. Listen, as, as much as my wife Jennifer sins against me, and, and she's a sinner, trust me, she's a sinner. You know, I can, I can tell you all about it later. She's a sinner. As much as that's true, Jennifer married a jerk. Like, I can be a hothead, I can be an ogre, and I can be a jerk. And don't say amen to that. That's not nice. <laughs> don't, be, don't be unkind. That's not nice. She married a jerk. And listen, the key to a healthy marriage is not, is not Jennifer getting her act together. It's Scott embracing this reality, this understanding that I'm a sinner. And as oftentimes as there are collisions in my home and in my relationships, it can often be because of something happening that's twisted in my heart, and I need forgiveness, and I need mercy. I am the one that needs to be forgiven. So in the next couple moments here, we're going to spend some time in prayer. And this is a massive, massive topic. And I don't want to treat any of it in a trite or cavalier manner because there are people who haven't just been like snubbed off or disrespected, who have been assaulted and abused. There are significant issues here. And I want you to hear your pastor say this, that godly counsel is well worth its investment. I have benefited from going to counselors. And that can be very well warranted on major issues. But... There are instances in our lives, day-to-day -day issues that we go through and things that have been piling up in relationships that you're a part of and you've been hanging on to this place of bitterness and you've been hanging on to it like these rocks that just won't let go. It's my precious. I almost think about Gollum in Lord of the Rings who had this ring that he wouldn't let go. But the longer he bore it, the more it perverted and twisted him and malformed him and made his heart so it was toxic with other relationships and ended up killing them too. And those around them, and, and these things that we hold on to, I'm never gonna let them, I'm never gonna forgive them for that word they used against me. It becomes a burden, it's a poison that we drink waiting for them to die from. And I don't think you wanna live the rest of your life with that in front of you. And so what I wanna encourage you to do is just close your eyes with me here for a moment. There's not always easy pathways to resolve all these kinds of things. But I think the first step starts with this. The first step starts with just saying to God, God, I've got bitterness, and I'm confessing it to you. And maybe you, it's real clear what the root of that is. Would you, with, with your eyes closed and just this time of of prayer, would you just confess it to him? God, I am bitter about. And I don't want it to define me anymore. Would you confess that to him?
And then would you ask him, God, would you give me freedom from bitterness? Allow me to step into forgiveness, just as you have forgiven me, and I didn't deserve it. I want to forgive those, God, who have sinned against me. And they may not even, they don't deserve it, but I'm not going to be defined by it. And then my challenge to you this week would be that you would, as you pray, as you drive, as you walk your way into work, and it comes to mind that you would just pray blessings for those people that have hurt you. God, bless them. Would your kindness lead them to repentance? God, would you set free? Would you release from those who are in bondage to this stuff? Would you set free? God, would there be freedom in Christ? God, for the marriages that are just feeling really strained right now, and I know there's more than one or two, and bitterness has a root, and it's digging in deep, in the name of Christ we speak against it. In the name of Christ, we speak that the gospel would bring a light into those places and that as soon as we feel like throwing a dagger at someone else, we remember that it was my sin that ripped and tore at the person of Christ and he looked at me and said, it is finished and it is forgiven. That he took the payment that I deserved. God, I speak that over those marriages. I speak that over those who just feel burdened by it. God, we come to you in this space. We're grateful, God, that you provide us a way out. We love you, Jesus. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.